This is our bonus podcast, guys. Welcome aboard, and I'm just glad to uh, introduce you my old friend who hasn't been on the pods for a while. So I'm super uh, excited to have him here to to listen to his thoughts. This is Eric McCollum, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's been too long, but I'm glad to be back and you know to share the mic with you, brother. Yeah, I believe that you have a lot of things to say about EuroLeague basketball. We are six games into the season. A lot of interesting stuff had happened. We um, discussed these things weekly, but we hadn't listened to you for a while. And and we wanted to actually to continue uh, to have you and another basketball person on, on the podcast, just as like uh, we have Mike James before the season um, doing a review of the best transfers uh, of the summer. We had one yearly, one active yearly player close to make the pod, but he had some force majeure uh, on Sunday, so he couldn't participate. But for sure, I believe that uh, in the in the further pods with Eric, we will also have some more basketball persons uh, on it. Uh, Eric, I mean, can, you have actually a lot of to say. I mean, you you have a great season and in in Izmir, and I was about to ask you about it, but probably the First of all, the good thing is that we just have you here on the podcast because you had this crazy situation on Saturday, I believe, this crazy fan encounter in in Izmir. Can can you just get us through what what had happened and what's going on with that crazy fan who was, you know, tried to assault you with his knife in his hand? Yeah, so basically, I was just going to the mall, like normal with my wife and my son, you know, to get something to eat. And, you know, on a Saturday, the mall is um, extremely packed. You know, it's a lot of traffic and... You know, the way the parking garage is set up is it's one way. So, you know, there's maybe three or four cars behind me. And there's a woman who um, is getting ready to leave. She has a stroller and a baby. And so, you know, anybody who has a family, they understand that when you have to pack up the stroller in the trunk, you have to put your baby in the car seat. You know, it could take you, you know, 30 to 30 seconds to maybe one minute. So meanwhile, I'm sitting there waiting. And then some guy randomly within maybe 15 seconds of waiting starts banging on my door. And so I turn and I look and he's speaking in Turkish and you could tell he's extremely upset because I'm waiting for the lady. Um, but this is normal. Like you wait for a parking spot, you know, you can wait 30 seconds, you know, have some patience. And, you know, he's not understanding. I think there's a language barrier. So now I'm just pointing to the car so that he sees I'm waiting for her. Then I will go, you know, after continuing to go back and forth, back and forth, he's not understanding. And so, you know, I get out the car and I tell him, look, just go to your car. It's going to take me you know, 20 seconds, go to your car. I'm not about to argue with you. He's still going back and forth. So I just get back in my car, whatever, ignore him. Um, you know, I'm not going to take my energy there. You know, I got my son here, my wife here. You know, I'm not going to, you're not going to see that side of me. Like, it's, it's something small, Eric, let it go. So then the lady leaves and I pull into the parking spot. Mind you, this probably has taken 45 seconds, you know, so not long at all. And now um, I'm thinking everything's okay. So I get out the car to get my son out. And when I go to get him, um, I see the guy parked behind me, but he's not parked. He's basically blocking traffic. And so now instead of there being five or six cars, now there's more like, you know, 10 to 12 cars. And he gets out and he's reaching in his door. And I'm looking and I understand like in America, if somebody's reaching in the door, I understand that this is probably gun. But in Europe, I know that the gun laws, everything is is different. So like, I'm not as worried. I'm not as like scared because I'm like, okay, the worst he's going to have is a weapon, but it's not a gun. Um, and he finally grabs it and he has it by his leg and he's holding it, trying to hide it on his thigh, like holding his arm straight down. 
And my wife sees it immediately. She says, Eric, he has a knife. And I tell her to get behind the car, um, you know, leave the baby in the car. And she's like, she's like, okay, just watch. He has a knife. And so I position myself um, behind like um, a boundary, which is just basically something that stops cars from running into the mall. And it's not high. It's probably like a little bit below my knee, but I step over this and I just sit there and I wait for him. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, I was trying to avoid confrontation, but now I had to protect my family. So this is what it's going to have to be. And, um, you know, he comes, he approaches me with the knife and he's probably two feet away from me. And we're just staring at each other, eye contact. And, you know, I'm waiting for him to step over this boundary because if he steps over this boundary, you know, I'm, I'm following with the punches immediately, you know, anything to protect myself and my family. And he understood. I think he didn't want to take a punch because in order he would have had to take one to get one to get to me because he would have had to step over this. And this was, you know, you know, probably not what he wanted to do. And when he saw that, I was not scared. And, you know, in that moment, you're in a fight or flight. You know, your instincts take over. You know, you may feel like you might be scared or something. But when it comes to your wife and your children, trust me, you will not be scared. You will you will be clear headed and you will find a way to get through the situation. And eventually, after 10 seconds of us staring at each other, he backs up and he's still talking. And I just tell him to get out of here, go. And luckily, there was three or four um, good Turkish Samaritans. They ran up, they grabbed him and they grabbed him by the forearms and the wrist because he had a weapon. And then they restrained him and they was pushing him to get in the car, telling him to go. And then all this time, his daughter jumps out. And I didn't even know there was somebody else. And she was 16 or 17 years old, if I had to guess, around this age. And she's crying. She's hysterical. She's like, Dad, let's go. Stop it. Stop it. What are you doing? And, and then I go and take a picture, uh, the license plate. And, you know, his daughter is trying to smack my phone away. And I, I still get the picture. And then meanwhile, they're so distracted on me that my wife has recorded, you know, the incident and we have a picture of his face and everything. So, you know, I tell the GM, I tell the team, I tell my team manager and we fast forwarded to the police just because, OK, I'm safe. Nothing happened to me. But to pull a knife out on somebody, uh, this is this is crazy. And, you know, maybe um, I can't prevent my situation from happening, but maybe I can protect the next person. You know, if somebody goes through this or if somebody doesn't have a voice, luckily I had people who, who could hear me. I had people who cared about me, who supported me and who pursued this. And, you know, maybe I can make it better for the next individual or maybe somebody will think twice about pulling out a knife uh, over something so so minute and, and small when you're talking about a man with his family just going to eat. So, you know, it was just a, a hectic week uh, just dealing with that and. You know, I'm, I'm just thankful that, you know, everybody's safe or OK. Like I was mostly concerned about my, my wife. She's pregnant. My son was in a car. He was OK. So, you know, just, you know, I wouldn't wish that on nobody, you know, and sometimes you got to deal with some craziness. But I understand that, you know, Turkey is a beautiful country. You know, I love it here. Um, you know, we have great fans and, you know, I won't let one person, you know, ruin my image of Turkish people or of Izmir as a city because Turkish people have been nothing but friendly and loving um, to my to my family. And I appreciate the outreach and and support from everybody who messaged me and all the mentions on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that that was scary experience for sure. It's it's pathetic to know that some people cannot be patient for 30 or 45 seconds, as you mentioned, in the parking area just to pass pass you by. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and probably for sure that guy wasn't a basketball fan because if he was, he knew that you were killing uh, for, for this uh, city's team. <laughs> I mean, Eric is averaging 27 points in the Champions League and, and seven assists. He was already leading the Euro Cup uh, in points last year. He's he's a top scorer, uh, probably one of the top scorers in the whole Europe and all competitions. Um, I, I, again, so probably tells a lot that you kind of adjusted quickly. You're happy with your current role in Izmir. 
have you been invited to the doping control yet? No. <laughs> oh yeah, I think um after the gala uh, game, I hit the game winner. Uh, they took me for the doping control, so I, I made a little joke. I laughed about it. I said, "I guess a, a 34 year old is not supposed to continue to improve and get better." But <laughs> yeah, I, I read some funny stories about doping control. Uh, I was actually finishing uh, the book about Lamar Odom. Actually, the the great book. I think the title is like "From Darkness to Light," and he he mentioned that before 20, uh, 2004 Athens Olympics. Uh, he used fake penis uh, to cheat on drug test because he was smoking weed basically every day. So he wasn't about to pass by the drug test uh, to make the Olympic roster. So he googled and he just found some fake penis, you know, to fake the test. And he used the. Uh, he also used the. I think that he used the. He was so paranoid that he might get caught up that he used the trainer's pee. I think because uh, sometimes with. I'm not an expert in faking, uh, you know, doping control <laughs> uh, tests, but uh, there was some issue with the temperature. So if that was fake, they might check that the temperate temperature was not, you know, hot enough. Uh. Let's say warm enough. So they used trainers pee. I mean, there was a lot of interesting things I I, I got to know actually about cheating on on drug tests. And from from what I heard from from what I what I read. It was also in the NBA because they sometimes they do some tests, and he was on cocaine as well at some part of his career, and he also had to do some cheating with his bodyguard to 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 get past. But anyway, that's that's a lot of Oof. off topic. Yeah, and let's talk about the Euroleague basketball. Uh, my colleague, my co-host of the pod, Augustus, told that since I had you uh, in the podcast after like. Three or four months, something like that, maybe shorter. You'll have so you know plenty to say that I won't need to prepare for this pod because Eric will will have a lot of ideas uh, about this <laughs> uh, podcast. And th the main topic uh, is uh, top three early season surprises and disappointments. Uh, we will try to bring our uh, three choices, but just before we start, uh, we start. Uh, uh, I give you a reminder uh, to follow. Uh, basket news uh, channel on youtube and also press like and uh, subs subscribe our channel as well and also you can do the same on all the audio platforms and for example on spotify you can give us five stars because uh, it really helps us our channel and our podcast uh, to grow so yeah uh, by the way one one who Promo thing this week. Uh, make sure you're gonna you're following Basket News Instagram account because on Wednesday I think our colleague Martina Motum will have an interview with Dwayne Bacon. Uh, Bacon he recently joined Panathinaikos. A lot of interesting stuff is happening around the team, so uh, for sure I, I think that is gonna be exciting um, Instagram live on Wednesday. And yeah, let's let's begin, Mr. McCollum. What would be your biggest surprise? Early into the season, for me, I think it's uh, an easy choice. Um, Basconia, um, all summer, no one talked about them. Not about the team, not about the rosters, not about the signer, not about the makeup. There were a lot of question marks. You know, they were kind of slow in the market. We did not know what to expect, what we were going to see, and you know, there were a lot of first timers in the year league. You know, even though they were great talents, you know, they've had success many other places. Usually, when you have some first timers in the year league, you don't know what to expect. And you know, I, I called it early in the summer. I said the most underrated signing when we last time were here was 
Darius Thompson. I said, as somebody no one's talking about, he's elite level point guard and he's showing it. Um, this is a guy who's shooting um, 55% from three. He's averaging 12 points a game, seven assists. He's kind of the, the engine, the maestro to the team. He's running everything, organizing, and, and he's been excellent. Um, and then obviously the clear choice that, you know, everyone's talking about Marcus Howard. I mean, He's only playing 21 minutes a game. He's scoring 19 points a game. That's insane when you think about the year elite level. And he's shooting 46% from three. And it's not like he's shooting one or two. This is a guy who has 50 attempts. So I think with that, you know, volume of shots, we understand that this is an elite shooter. Um, and I had question marks just because first time in Europe, going to the yearly, dealing with the physicality, you know, how him and Darius would mesh together. Darius Thompson, the point guard. So, you know, just seeing that, you know, how they're using him there. They started off using him more as a one, I think early in the season when I was watching the games and then they realized that he's such a gifted scorer. We're just going to slide him to the two. And I think that's what encouraged him prior to bring um, Perry Henry um, to give him another option at point guard so that they have Thompson in here. So now they have two elite level playmakers, two guys who can be top five and assist in the Euro elite and who are also defensive minded. So I'm really impressed with Basconia and, I did not see this coming. You know, you know the fan support, you know what they bring, but, you know, they, they've been excellent. And they have the best offense in the year league. I mean, 91 points a game, and they're explosive. Yeah, I think they had multiple 100 points, uh, both in the year league and ACB league, which is really rare here in Europe. And I have Basconia as my biggest surprise of the early season uh, as well. Basically, for the three main reasons, you already mentioned two of them, uh, as I checked, um, Basconia has three of six best scorers, best rookie scorers in the EuroLeague. For sure, it's Marcus Howard. He's the fourth best scorer in the competition. Uh, he's averaging, as I mentioned, 19 points just uh, in, in, in 20, 21 minutes. Uh, there's Darius Thompson and there's Mike Kotsar, uh, Estonian big man, um, humble guy, uh, hustle guy, also EuroLeague rookie uh, com coming from, from Hamburg. And as I mentioned, I mean, the GM of Basconi, Alberto, Alberto Salazar, uh, once again showed why he has this experience, this great eye on, on prospects, on EuroLeague rookies. You can remember that Basconi brought a lot of interesting rookies in the recent years. It all starts from Shane Larkin. That's why we had all those comparisons between Marcus Howard and Shane Larkin. Mike James, he also started from, from Basconia on the EuroLeague uh, level. I think that Shaman Shields, Darun Hillard, these guys also started over there mm -hmm. and Basconia was the team uh, which gave the chance. And that's why I also didn't have high hopes high hopes on them because they just had too many rookies too many rookie players dalton holmes we cannot uh, uh, forget him he's still getting adjusted he might be very interesting simona fontecchio replacement he still needs some time but i mean they they were young team uh yearly experience wise so i just didn't see that coming and as individual players you mentioned this is something exceptional for example marcus howard he's averaging 36 points per 40 minutes you mentioned very high volume shooter uh, him uh, being a high, very high volume shooter and i checked the yearly history and the second best player by points per 40 minutes was alfonso ford the famous alfonso ford that he has his, you know, the award, the top scorer EuroLeague award is named by Alfonso Ford. He he was averaging 30.2 points per game per 40 minutes. 
And there was also Milos Vujanic uh, in tw- 2002 and three seasons. So, I mean, I know that sample size is small. It's only six games into the season. And we can expect that Marcus Howard's numbers might drop. Teams, you know, will be better in scouting. They will more. They will be more focused on him. But I mean, Marcus Howard is the player which brought, which brings a lot of good emotions. For example, I have a friend which literally starts to cry when he eats very tasty food, very tasty dish. There, there is some syndrome when he literally has his, you know, uh, tears dropping when he feels that dish is good, which is probably bad when his wife or friend makes some bad food, you know, and when they notice that he's not crying, it means that he cannot lie. The food is is, is gross. It's, it's terrible. So I have kind of the same feeling with Marcus Howard. I just burst out laughing when I saw him making all those shots because a lot of these shots are just incredible. Sometimes he's he's making some unguardable shots. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see the adjustments of the opposing teams, how they're going to try to handle this uh, Marcus uh, Howard uh, offensive uh, sparks he he already did early in the in the, the season. The other thing what I wanted to say about Darius Thompson, I mean, there were some doubts about him. Uh, is he vocal enough to be the main point guard of the team? Uh, is he aggressive enough, you know, to lead the team? And especially coming into the situation like in Basconia, where he's about to start, where he's about to play an important role from the beginning, not just adjust as a backup like. Carson Edwards, for example, or, or some other guys. Uh, but dude was just incredible. And I just love not only his on-court performance, but you know better than me what kind of guy he is. And I remember uh, when Peria Henry joined Basconia, I was trying to get, dig in how Howard, how Darius Thompson are feeling about the signing. Because if I'm a player, if I'm a point guard, and I see Basconia bringing Peria Henry, who has status in the EuroLeague, I'm not sure how I'm feeling. Is he going to steal my minutes? Is he going to steal my role? Because Peria Henry is another player who needs the ball in his hands. I don't feel comfortable uh, about that. Although I'm doing good on the court, although the team is winning, although I'm having a good stat line, Peria Henry is coming to my team. I'm kind of scared. And I try to dig in how these players are feeling. And from what I understand, Darius was just happy that they're going to have more depth on their backcourt, that they're going to have Peria Henry's experience, how much he's going to help the team uh, to you know consistently win uh, all those games and to keep the team on track. So it tells a lot about the guy. Yeah, Darius is a great character guy. Um, you're talking about a guy who, can, who has immense talent, um, who can play, who's having a great season. And like you said, it just shows his selflessness. Um, you know, I actually spoke to him about it and he was excited. Um, he was like, man, we're going to have another guy who can create. You know, it takes a lot of pressure off for me. Um, it allows me to also um, play off ball some um, to give defenses a different look. You know, he understands that the team can be more dangerous with two creators and it will allow him to show some of his scoring ability because he has that. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, I was on him last year about shooting more, looking for a shot. And I think this year he's found that perfect balance of scoring and creating. And Perret allows him to free himself up more sometimes and to give a different look. But, you know, I think, um, you know, anytime you have a good character guy who's talented, who works hard, you know, the sky's the limit. And um, he he took off uh, last year at Locomotive Kuban um, and didn't miss a beat, you know, was the best point guard in the year of Cup. You know, I said it countless times, 
you know, I had the best year point guard and I had the best five men, you know, and I, I repeated, I harped on those two guys all year. And people thought I was probably just hyping them up because they were teammates of mine. I've had lots of teammates over 13 years. I was telling you and everyone else that these two players were different. And I'm, I'm happy that everyone's getting to see, you know, that Darius Thompson is that player. He's, he's elite and he's going to be in a year elite for many, many years. Unless, you know, who knows down the line, NBA might try to steal him. He's a guard who's athletic. He has size, but you know, I think he's a guy who will play in the elite in um, your elite for many years, make lots of money and be one of the best point guards, um, you know, for the future. You mentioned that other guy. And the funny fact is that both Darius and Bo John Motley, they both tie for the 11th place by the efficiency in the EuroLeague. How happy are you are about John Motley and him playing in, in Fener? Uh, I'm ecstatic for him. You know, this is a guy who's uh, a huge talent. Um, you know, he can do pretty much everything on the court. Offensively, he can play the short role. He can play back to basket. He's strong. He can dribble. He's agile. He can move. Um, you know, and he can shoot that mid-range shot and he's a decent three-point shooter. So like, you know, just to see those things translate and I try to tell people that, you know, skill level, you know, is something that translates at every level. doesn't matter. NBA, Euro Cup, Champions League, uh, domestic leagues, Euro League. If you have skills, you know, it's going to always show. Now, okay, if you're just more athletic, if you're just bigger, stronger people, sometimes you will have struggles when you play against people who match that. But, you know, with with um, Jonathan Motley, he's a guy who's going to be probably the most physical, one of the most athletically blessed, um, strong, tough, but he's also very skilled. And you'll see him when he pushes the ball, when he faces up the big man. I mean, you know, I think um, just watching his performance, his efficiency, you know, you know how he's able to, you know, to play with Scotty, to play with Nick, you know, how he's not the focal point in offense, but he finds a way to impact it night in and night out. And I think you're going to start to see more play calls, more post-ups, you know, more times where he's bringing the ball up to court. You're going to start to see a two to you know, give him a little bit more, um, you know, freedom, you know, and he's earning it and, and he's slowly, slowly gaining the trust of the coaches and the staff. And, you know, he's looking like one of the best five men um, in the Euro league to me, you know, I got Walter Tavares and him, they're two different type of bigs, but um, there's not too many big men I'm taking over uh, Jonathan Mali. It's, it's incredible that Jonathan Motley is a yearly rookie and he leads Fenerbahce in points, in, in rebounds, in efficiency, and is one of the best EuroLeague players already on a team which which co-leads uh, the EuroLeague after uh, six rounds. But actually watching Motley, I still it still feels like he has so much room to improve. Because sometimes, you know, I remember him in EuroCup just dunking every ball when he was in, in the paint, when, you know, he was in the reach uh, to touch the rim uh, with the ball. He was just dunking all those balls. So sometimes it looks like he's still hesitating uh, to be more aggressive uh, under the boards, to be more aggressive uh, with his with his uh, dunk selection. Uh, so instead of going for a layup, which sometimes might, might not convert into points, although he's making 68% uh, of uh, two-pointers, it still feels like he can be more, more confident with his, uh, with his, let's say, shot selection. And also, you know, he has this issue which he had uh, previously already. He's getting into foul trouble uh, too early sometimes. And specifically, it was the last game against Barcelona, I think. Uh, he had, he, he had this, this problem and it's something which hurts him because he's playing only 22 minutes per game, providing all those great numbers. But when he will adjust, when he will understand the level of physicality, what is allowed and what is not, I think that he will be better uh, in, in this department. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, 
you know, that's the area he can improve upon, um, you know, just being available for your team. Um, he's done everything, you know, rebounding, scoring, you know, creating some things, you know, I seen him grow as a passer, you know, reading a double team, making some of those looks, some of those reads, some of those things that he wasn't necessarily doing last year. I'm starting to see that. And that, that's good. Cause that means he's working and he's continuing to learn, but he has to understand um, the, the physicality and what the refs allow and don't allow. And I think, you know, that could be the difference in the game. That might've been, you know, what hurt him in that Barcelona game. He was excellent, but he was battling that foul trouble. And when you're without that, you know, that offensive engine in the paint, you know, that guy that kind of opens everything up, you know, Scotty's getting free for a lot of three point shots because, you know, my Motley Rose, you know, he's shooting 70%. He's dunking, he's finishing, he's, he's patient, he's pivoting, um, he's pumping it. It's going to make those guys on the wing have to help a little bit more. You know, Nick's getting a lot of freedom coming down that lane. Like he's opening everything up. So those foul trouble problems that he's receiving, it doesn't just take away from his statistics. You know, it really hurts um, the Fenerbahce team because now the role threat is not the same, you know, you know, when Motley's in there, you know, Jakiri's a really good player, but he's not the same offensive caliber as Motley. And I think that's what you're seeing the difference in. So once he figures that out, um, you know, when to be aggressive, when to not kind of, you know, fill out the beginning of the game, see how the refs are calling it. I think you'll see him, you know, take even bigger leap and, you know, be more aggressive. And I think that hesitation you're sensing is, you know, when you have a couple fouls, you're trying to avoid, you know, some charges, you're trying to avoid, you know, those uh, easy little flop call something. So I think that's what's deterring some of his decision-making. Um, when he's in foul trouble at portions of the game. You also faced Fenerbahce with Karciaka and watching them being unbeaten after five rounds, of course, they lost to Barcelona, but before they were a single unbeaten team in the EuroLeague. How do you feel about their title chances? I know it's too early to talk. I know that, you know, still a lot of great teams that are missing their star players who are injured. Fener is also missing Nemanja Bielica. So we just, we, we cannot overreact at this point of the season in, in November, but just looking at the, at the big picture, looking at Fener's ceiling, how new players are adjusting. Uh, what are your feelings about this team and their chances this year? They're, they're really good. They're, they're big, they're strong, they're physical. They don't just have good big men. Um, they have good wings who have size. So you think about it, everybody is like a piece to the puzzle. So Motley, Booker, Jakiri, uh, to me, that's the best three big men in the EuroLeague, that rotation. You have um, Booker who can shoot the three, who's a lob threat in the pick and roll, who can switch out and guard guards, you know, one through five. Motley can also switch out guard guards, play the short roll, um, play the under screens, over screens. He can do all those type of reads off a of Nick or off a of Scotty. Um, and then you go with Jakiri, you know, another great screener, good and shortcut, underrated, underrated uh, mid-range shooter. So like those three kind of, you know, are the perfect package of different type of bigs who can give um, Fenerbahce many different looks. And, and when you have that luxury of playing Booker and Miley together, you know, that size, that rebound and that defensive versatility, it makes you special. And then you slide to the wings, uh, Nigel Hayes is, you know, he has size. Um, he can guard many positions. You know, he's, he plays his role, spot-up shooter, um, you know, close out attack guy. But he also can post up a lot of those smaller guards when, you know, teams try to play, you know, small. They try to go with those extra creators. And, you know, obviously um, Nick is, you know, back to his form. And I think he never left. I think now the freedom's just there. We talked about that, being able to create. He's shooting the three. I mean, really good right now. He's only shot 17 attempts, but he's shooting 53%. Um, he looks confident. He, he, he looks. He told that he improved. I remember that he had one of these early interviews in the, uh, during the season, and he said, "Believe me, I really improved my shooting." So, sample yeah. size is small, but we already see some some results of that summer work. Yeah, 
you can tell like his spot up shot, it looks confident. And then now I think because of Nick being there, Scotty can be himself. He can focus on scoring. He doesn't have to focus on creating or running the team. He can be that that elite shooter that he is and, and be in attack mode all game. And that's when you're seeing him at his best. So you, you combine all that. And then Marco Goodrich is, you know, a good balance, you know, taller guard. He can play the pick and roll. He can shoot. He has good pace. He's poised. You know, I, I really like what they have. And, you know, Carson Edwards, he's kind of like their, their, their bomb off the bench. You know, there's going to be some games where he's not going to score much. You know, the minutes are sporadic. He's still adjusting to Europe. You know, sometimes he gets too deep in the paint. You know, he's always looking to finish. I think once he starts to adjust, knowing like, oh, I have to use the floater, I have to use the pull-up, um, or I have to show that I'm a creator too so that all this help doesn't come to me. Once he realizes that, you're going to see his game take over. But right now he's in finishing mode and he, he's always trying to finish. And he's good at it sometimes. You're going to see like he's an explosive shooter. He can do things. But until he finds that balance of, you know, when to pull up, when to create for his teammates, his, uh, his game will be inconsistent. But I think he's a really talented player, and it's just an adjustment period. But they have everything. I mean, the roster is so good right now. I almost feel like if Lisa comes back, he's kind of going to kind of mess it up, not that he's not a great player in his own right, just because now where do you find 20 minutes for him? Like, who who gets less minutes? Where do you find his touches, his role? He's a, a key player. Like, he's going to want the ball. He's going to play some pick and roll. Pick and, like, how do you fit him in? Like, I mean, I guess it's a great problem to have if you're a Tudis. But you almost have too many weapons, you know. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see how he's gonna swing this, how he's gonna keep these guys happy. Remember, in domestic lead, only five players can play in the Turkish lead. So that means every night you're gonna have five guys sitting out. Will they maintain the rhythm? Will they stay in shape? Will guys be mature? You know, all these questions are things that you know we'll see as the season progresses because a lot of guys, you know, you know, don't want to sit out. A lot of guys get upset, a lot of guys, you know, lose focus, you know. You know, you're in Istanbul. It's a great city. It's a lot to do. There's many distractions. When you know you're not playing in Turkish league game, are you going to be professional? So <laughs> I think that's what we're going to see. But but wait, did I hear that? Did I hear it right? You said that Motley, Booker, and Jakiri, they have. I mean, Fener has the best uh, front line in the Euroleague. Or yeah, the, I think like, so. Selection in the center the position. In the center position, just because ah, okay. like everything, like the best. Fives, I think they have. Like, I mean, Jakiri, he's big. He's tough on the switch. Motley, That's it. Both, both tough on the switch. Most I mean, versatile, so, right? Yeah, like, they're so versatile. When we play them, they put Motley and Booker on me at points in the game because um, they didn't like the matchup with the guards. And so they would put them on me. So anytime we ran pick and roll, then it was a switch. And, I mean, it's not really a difference. Booker's guarding me, switch, Motley's guarding me. Like, those are two big, strong, fast, athletic guys. So it's not easy to shoot over these taller guys. But these are just how many bigs can do that, can go guard the one, press the ball full court, and, and be in a position and quick enough to guard that. Not many can do that. So when you talk about that defensive versatility, that's what I'm talking about. And then when you talk about the ability to score on the inside and out, and I don't think there's many fives that match that, um, that Finner brings. Yeah, because, you know, I just thought that that was a big statement because we, for example, we have Real Madrid with Tavares, Vincent Poirier, Petr Cornelly also adjusting to the EuroLeague and had some nice tools. Of course, if it goes broader with the front line, Barca has Vesely, Mirotic and Sean uh, Lee, for example, or, or Mike Toby. But yeah, if, if we're talking just about center position, Etudis should like what he have uh, as, as his tools uh, to execute in this position, to execute all his ideas. You mentioned distractions in Istanbul. Just in this book of, of Lamar's, Lamar Odom's book, 
uh, there was a story that uh, sometimes, the, I mean, Istanbul is really a place where there are too many distractions because even in 2004, when Team USA was had some unprecedented amount of security guards around them because it was a big, uh, first big tournament after 9-11 uh, attack. Uh, I think it was a big first tournament for the Team USA and they had a lot of stars like, you know, Allen Iverson, uh, Steph Marbury, uh, Tim Duncan on the team, a lot of great players on that team. So there was a huge security around these guys and Allen Iverson was, let's say, protagonist of taking most of the team out of well-secured team hotel to one of the Istanbul uh, nightclubs. I think that nightclub was owned by Mehmet Okur. But somehow there were some paparazzis, they found them out and security guards uh, came, came to the nightclub to just to, to get um, team, all the players back uh, to the hotel safely. So, so yeah, Istanbul has <laughs> some distractions. Okay. <laughs> We kind of expanded on, on our first selection of, of biggest surprises, just to make clear. We had Basconi as number one for, for you and for, for me as well. What's your second pick? For me, it's Monaco. Um, I always thought they had a good roster. I always thought there was extreme talent there. But you have to think, um, Elio Kobo misses basically the entire preseason, the entire training camp, um, because he's with the national team. Then you throw in a mix that, you know, there were question marks. Can Mike James, can Jordan Lloyd, can Elliot Cooper, can they all play together? Are there enough basketballs? Um, and, you know, I'm seeing, you know, them playing well together. I'm seeing them sharing the ball. I'm seeing them looking happy, like they're enjoying it. And so that's the thing, like a lot of guys are talented, but when you see guys who are happy to play with one another, like, and Jordan Lloyd is a guy who can play with anybody, I could tell just because, you know, he's he can play defense. He's been in different roles. You know, he's been a guy that was, uh, underused in Valencia, but when called upon, he could score the ball. Um, he's a guy that when he went to Red Star, had a bigger role, showed his ability to score the ball, to put in the hole, showed that he can um, really light it up. Then he went to Zenit, and it kind of was like in the middle where he had to be defensive-minded. He had to play Javi Pascal's system. He still had to score. They had so many point guard issues. Sometimes he was asked to be point guard to facilitate the score. So you just saw his versatility of a guy who can adjust to many different situations um, in different roles within the team. So I didn't worry about him. And I knew Mike was going to be alpha. Like Mike James is, is just special. Like he's one of the most talented players in the year. I was wondering how Elliot Kobo would fit. And, you know, to my surprise, he's been excellent. Um, I always thought that the talent was there. I just wasn't sure how the fit would be. And, you know, I think he's scoring about 12 points a game. You know, he's been efficient. You know, he's been aggressive. You know, the coach is doing good with the minutes, getting 24 a night. You know, Jordan Lloyd getting 27 tonight and Mike getting 32 tonight. And, you know, Kobo shooting 58% from three, 50 from twos, and 90 from the free throw line. So, I mean, you can't ask for much more um, than that. And, you know, he's done his job. They have four double-figure scores. Um, they've been good on defense. Um, it's just a team that, you know, is athletic, um, has some uh, marquee wins, have gone on the road, shown their ability to win you know, in hostile atmosphere, and also shown their ability to protect the home court. So, you know, I really like what I see from them. Um, I'm just surprised that with so many new pieces and players that they mess so quickly together. And, and that to me is surprising because yes, people would say they're a borderline playoff team this summer, but no one would have them as a top four team in a year lead, And that's what they're looking like. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the best part of, of Monaco is that they still has such a big room for improvement. Uh, we already discussed, we already, everybody's focused on this big three of, of Monaco with James, Okobo and Lloyd. And 
without all these uh, good things that Lloyd can offer both on and off the court, I mean, he can he still can be much better at shooting the ball. Um, probably it was he was also affected by this back injury he had early in the, in, in the season. He's making only thirty one percent of three pointers, uh, forty two of, of of two pointers, and we can we are, we know for sure that he he can be better with that. And also a lot of goes with Monaco's I would call them assets. I mean, the, I, I think the main thing for Monaco was to find chemistry between those three guys at first. Uh, because they are decision makers on the court. Um, the team, uh, the whole season is on their shoulders. Now, I think the next step for them would be to find those other guys. For example, you can always use Donatos Motiunas inside the paint better. He's very efficient and at scoring in, in, the paint, in the paint at some stretches. Of course, you can switch him uh, on the court uh, all the time if, if Donta Hall, for example, for to split them for 20 minutes. One can offer some great defense and Donatos Motiunas can, can offer some great offense. Then we have John Brown, who also had some time to adjust. We already saw some uh, great moments, especially in the game against Olympiacos, when it when it mattered to, to get that revenge for the playoffs. Both Okobo made a big statement, scoring 23 points. Both John Brown made a big statement, making some crucial defensive stops. And, uh, I mean, you can see players like Adrian Moerman scoring five points in 21 minutes and shooting the ball very bad, I would say, 15% two-point shooting and 32% three-point shooter. He can be much better than that. Jerome Blossom game, three points per game on 11% three-point shooting. I mean, we're talking about a lot of potential still left on this team, which is already very solid. So that's that's the scary part about this uh, Monaco team so far. Yeah, and I, I didn't take them in my top surprises uh, because... I kind of already admired them a lot in our previous podcast, but for my second selection, uh, first I was, you know, my top, uh, my first pick was Basconia, rookies, uh, the entire team. My second biggest surprise is just the standings in general. I mean, who would have thought that Alba Berlin, uh, even Maccabi, with Wade Baldwin, with Lorenzo Brown, with a lot of new players, Basconia especially, who thought that they're going to be in top eight? Basconia is the third seeded team right now. Alba was on the top for, for for a few rounds. I mean, it's 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 great to see these teams uh, blossoming, and having some uh, unexpected results, uh, unexpected wins. And for the second part of the, of the surprises, that we have these final four teams, uh, let's say in the bottom of the, of the standings. Virtus Bologna two wins in six games. FS two wins in six games. Even Real Madrid is very unconvincing with uh, three wins. Milan, three wins. That's the worst start uh, since Ettore Messina took the team. And I'm not overreacting. We're just, it's the beginning of the November. Uh, so as, for example, Sharuna Sisikavich just once said when he was the head coach of Jargis that he starts looking at standings only when January or February kicks in. Because in this new EuroLeague format, it doesn't really much what's happening. But it's easier to be said when, when done. And sometimes teams are overacting, uh, overacting, especially teams which are run by big owners or by big organizations. So I'm just curious to see who's going to overreact. And we already hear these rumors about Real Madrid and their head coach, Chus Mateo, being on a hot seat. Um, I don't see uh, any, let's say, overreactions in Milan. 
unless they're gonna bring some player just from overreaction. Maybe that's what they did last season with some injuries they had. FS, they're not going to overreact. I mean, they went through it for the last uh, two seasons and they won the EuroLeague back-to-back. Uh, -back. Of course, they made the signing uh, Isaiah Taylor, uh, but probably that was just a needed and logical uh, step uh, looking at their roster depth. But just in general, this this picture of the standings, uh, of, of, of some interesting games, of some interesting outcomes, it's quite surprising. And it's it tells a lot about the EuroLeague and that you can expect for... You cannot... Expect for any easy game, no matter who you play, basically. Yeah, it's very balanced. Um, you know, you can lose anybody any night. You like the talent. The games have been extremely competitive. Um, you know, it's been good basketball. I think it's exactly what the year league wants and, you know, what the fans want to see. Your third selection. And, you know, this, this was a tough one, the third one, because, you know, you're trying to see what's the fit, you know, what's the problem, and, you know, for me, I would basically say, you know, I thought that Partizan would struggle. So they're my, my surprise because after, you know, not having a clear point guard, you know, trying things, you know, not making, you know, maybe the necessary moves, you know, for positions of need, I will say. You know, I think they have some good players, but, you know, anytime you just don't have an experienced point guard or you don't have a point guard who, who is their natural position, who's a good pick and roll player, who's a creator, who makes the game easier for everybody – you know, you think the season's going to be a disaster. So then they start off 0-3, and, and I'm like, yeah, this is what I expected. It's going to be a rough year. Uh, I don't know how Bravich is going to handle this. Like, you know, he's a great coach, but they just need a point guard. And I still feel they need a point guard. Um, but, you know, when you're playing in Serbia, you know, those fans are passionate. That gym is packed, the media, everything. And then you're playing for a demanding coach who, who expects excellence. Um, the pressure is immense. And to see them turn around, and win three straight games after starting 0-3, you know, to me, that, that's a surprise. Extremely impressive because a lot of young teams, which is what Partizan has, a lot of younger guys, a lot of younger players, when you face adversity, when you face stress, a lot of times you fold. A lot of times the losses pile up. You know, people start to, to get down on themselves. Um, people start to lose confidence. But, you know, they figured their way out. And, you know, like some of those losses, you know, surprising. You know, first game, 100 put on you, you know, at Alba. Uh, then you go to Basconia, you lose again, another 100, 103 points put on you. So now you're thinking, okay, they don't have their point guard play, but there's a problem defensively. And then, you know, they go, they figure it out, they kind of adjust and, and they regroup and, and they show that you know, maybe they're not dead yet. And so to me, um, you know, just seeing their growth, seeing them, maybe they're figuring it out. Maybe they're going to, maybe they can be like Zenit was, you know, last year and, you know, they can win in spite of their point guard play. And, and that's what is looking like these last three games and the first three games it was looking hopeless I, i'm not gonna lie to you oh yeah that's true and i had the same feeling about them and mainly because of their point guard selection but the one of the biggest surprises actually uh, talking about partisan partisan is that they have the best offensive rating in the EuroLeague, according to bbolitics and that's just incredible uh, I mean, without playing without a let's say solid choice on the point guard uh, position because they they play a lot of minutes with Yamadar. They also play a lot of minutes with Dante Exum. Kevin Punter sometimes kind of you know takes that ball handler uh, role. James Nunnally is here also. I mean, it's it's a different type of team, and I was also surprised why they didn't move like why didn't make a bold move with the point guard position because there were a lot of rumors already during the summer. 
so this this of course stats sometimes they also might be misleading, but the fact that they have the best offensive rating in the Euroleague is something incredible. Of course, thanks to very good uh, shooting percentages, they're first in the Euroleague by three-point shooting. 43% uh, per game. They have the best true shooting percentage. Uh, they're third in offensive rebound percentage, which helps to get some uh, second chances. So, and what's interesting, they're 17th in assists, which is very big contrast. I mean, it, you rarely see the best offensive rating for a team which has the second worst uh, assist average in the EuroLeague. So, this this team is a, I mean very unexpe uh, unexpected, uh, unpredictable team. You never know who they might lose you, and you might expect them winning against every team. So with some roster adjustments throughout the season, they might be even better. And what do you think? What kind of point guard they would need? I, I don't know right now who's available on the market, but let's say just make a picture of the profile of the player or to compare uh, maybe there is that point guard who's playing for the other EuroLeague team, just to give a picture of that type of player. So they need a guy um, who's tough-minded because Abramovich is extremely tough on his point guard. You know, you got to be the floor general out there. You need a guy with the experience who can handle, um, you know, the pressures that come with leading, you know, a, a heavy fan-based team like Partizan. You need a guy who can play pick and roll, who can create, who can hit big shots when called upon, but who can also, you know, run a team, manage, and you know, isn't hunting baskets. Um, I think that the perfect profile for them is Malcolm Delaney. Um, he's a guy that can defend. Um, he has the experience. He can create the pick and roll issue. And I understand that he has a good relationship with Kevin Punter. So I think, you know, based on who's available, when you're looking for an experienced player, someone that you know you can plug in and he can fit, you know, he's a guy that he could come to Partizan right now and, you know, probably give them uh, that spark they need, you know, maybe 10 to 12 points a game, uh, four to six assists, um, and, and he's strong defensively. So, you know, I think, um, you know, that's something that they can look at. Um, other than that, you know, it's probably difficult to get somebody who hasn't played at this level um, or hasn't played at the year level and to go buy him out or go get somebody like that. I, I would That wouldn't be a route I would take just because, like, playing point guard, you know, at that level um, with that pressure, you know, with that, you know, the fan base who wants to win now, you know, they, they don't care. They have a Bravich, they have that fan support. They have that Serbian history, that pride, you know, they don't care about the team budget. They don't care about none of that. They want to win and they want to be a playoff team. So I think you need to get somebody who understands, you know, the history of, um, you know, European basketball and expectation that's ahead and who's unbothered by it, you know, who's unfazed. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I didn't think about Malcolm because Last season, when his contract with Milan was expiring, in one of the interviews on Basket News, he mentioned that uh, he will return to Europe only if he will be able to play half of the season, for example, because the season in Europe is just too long, it's really exhausting, and he doesn't feel if he needs that at this point of his career. Uh, and him joining Partizan in January, for example, for Partizan trying to survive until January, and so far they're doing pretty good and they should be just better uh, from now on that would be a huge upgrade I think that's that's an interesting point you're, you're coming up with Eric yeah and actually one of my third surprise of um, of the season is also related to Partizan is the Partizan center which I think was also very important behind their success this is Matthias Lazort 
And Lazort is interesting guy. I mean, I think that uh, Partizan is the first team, uh, is the second team, I'm sorry, where he stayed for the another year because he was just changing teams. Uh, he played for for Euroleague teams. He played for Maccabi last year. He played in in, in Monaco in EuroCup in Unicaja Malaga uh, in in Red Star, but just in some short stretch stretches. And from from what I heard, okay, I will try from positives. Uh, I will try from positives. I mean, he's the second most efficient player in the Euroleague right now. Uh, he also leads uh, the Euroleague. Uh, in offensive rebounds by a mile. He's grabbing more than five offensive re rebounds per game. He ties for the first place in block shots, I think with Chris Komaje. And as I mentioned, he's second in, in player um, efficiency uh, rating just behind Sasha Vizenkov. And the biggest impact, I mean, the stats show, and I think my eyes test, eye test also shows that uh, what kind of impact he makes on the court. And numbers are just crazy. With him on the court, Partizan's rebounding increases by 15%. Uh, Partizan's defense improves by 7.5 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. And the offense also improves per 19 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Oh, it's also related to the fact that Partizan doesn't have a solid backup. Balša Koprivica or Tristan Bukcevic, they're just too young and they're not ready yet to contribute on that level. And I mean, the Zort is playing hell of a minutes, 34 per game. So it really helps him to get all those crazy numbers. But watching Partizan play, I think that his physicality, uh, the way how humble he is in the paint, it really changed some games. For example, for instance, there was the Zalgiris game and Zalgiris was the best offensive rebounding team in the EuroLeague before going to Belgrade. Partizan and thanks to Matthias Lazort, of course, they limited them to only nine offensive rebounds uh, in the game, which helped them to win the game because it was the, one of the main strengths of, of, of Zalgiris. And he's changing the game with his blocks, uh, with his rebounding, with just his presence uh, inside the paint. And I remember, I mean, uh, I was kind of digging in about this player before uh, he decided to stay in Partizan. And few of the main question marks was that he was not, let's say, the smartest player on the court uh, in terms of decision-making uh, because he has so much energy that sometimes he cannot control it. And he, he, sometimes he's uh, wrong with some, some decisions on the court. And that's how other opponents, they're taking this advantage. Uh, and also the other big factor was that uh, I was told that by some, by some basketball people that he cannot play low minutes. He needs to be on the court for long stretches, for long minutes to be productive, to feel the rhythm, to feel the momentum of the game and to be efficient for the team. That's what we see so far in Partizan. And and I think that he he, he he's a big impact maker for, for this team uh, so far. I'm not saying that they are very successful, but I'm just saying that he's important part of, of this situation. And them, of course, being the first in efficiency, uh, offensive rating. I agree. Um, he's been a beast. Um, his energy, his effort, his toughness you know, is something that the crowd feeds off of. His teammates do as well. He's a really good player. And I think, um, you know, most players, obviously, like, they're going to be more productive with more minutes. But I think this is the first time we're actually seeing him you know, get a full opportunity, you know, as being the, the first five man. And he's taking full advantage. Uh, he looks excellent out there. 
dunking on people, you know, spin moves, post up dragon hole, everything like, you know, his from his head's defense, his recovery, like I mean, he's doing it all for them. And you know, they have nobody behind him. So, you know, hopefully he just has to stay healthy. Um, and I think he has the motor, you know, he has the ability to continue to play, you know, with this energy, with this effort, uh, even at 30 plus minutes a game for the course of the season, because he's just, you know, that type of guy, like, you know, they say, um, playing hard is a skill and it is like a lot of people don't have a mode or don't have that, that effort, the energy to bring it every play. And, and that's a skill. And that's why a lot of people um, you know, get paid what they do because they can bring that skill that no one else can. Okay. Enough with positives. Let's go with disappointments uh, after six rounds. What's Eric McCollum, what's your biggest disappointments uh, early into the season? And you know, this is tough. This is tough because it's so early and you know, teams can turn it around. Um, I would say one of my biggest disappointments, I think, I don't want to say that's finished for them or nothing, but I would say Bologna, you know, I, I just expected, you know, more like a better brand of basketball, um, you know, them to be more cohesive as a unit, you know, they bring a lot of guys back, you know, that played together, you know, for two years on a Euro cup team. And I just expected them to hit the ground running a little quicker. Um, you know, it just seems stagnant, you know, they, They scored 62 points in Partizan. You know, it's a tough place to play. But, you know, when you have all these offensive weapons, you know, Tadosic, um, Jordan Mickey, um, you know, you have these talented guys. You just think, like, you know, 62 points. Okay, you can lose the game, but you expect more than this. Now, part of that might have been because, you know, Shingilia was hurt. You know, he was out. But, you know, with a team with this deep of a roster, you know, with this big of a budget, but, you know, so many experienced players, you know, you expect kind of the next man up approach. And, You know, if one guy can get hurt and he's not even a guard and it can kind of throw the trajectory of your team off like this, it's, it's scary. You know, it's different. Like when a guard, like when Shane Larkin gets hurt, yes, he has the ball a lot. He creates, he makes the game easier for everybody. But when a big man gets hurt, usually you can pick and plug, which basically means you can just plug somebody else in, you know, and you can kind of keep the engine going. You know, maybe you're not the same team, but you can, you just stay afloat. You keep your head above water. And I just... You know, I think they struggled last year in the Euro Cup and then, you know, they got fortunate with some matchups with some key teams losing, you know, with, you know, teams getting kicked out the Euro Cup. I think that kind of helped them. Um, but just not seeing, you know, that brand of basketball that you would expect from a team of this caliber with this type of experience. Yeah, that's a good point. And I completely agree with you. They're 17th by the offensive rating. They're not... I mean, when I have... Uh, free evening when I pick a basketball game to watch, I try to avoid Bologna uh, Virtus because they're not playing, uh, let's say, they're not playing sexy basketball on this tough yearly schedule when we we have so many games clashing each other. So usually you try to avoid Bologna because it feels like they're so far away from being, first and foremost, being a squad, being a, a real team. Uh, and maybe that's what also impacts their offense because, as I mentioned, they have talent offensively. They have one of the best passers in Europe, Milos Teodosic. Uh, they have Ife Lundberg, uh, for example, uh, some 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 other uh, guys, some other assets. But it seems like that they still didn't find their roles. Sergio Scariolo just coming back straight from the Eurobasket, missing all the preparation. He will need time to settle... Uh, these roles down uh, to find best lineups after all those uh, changes. I just hope that Tornike uh, Toko Shengelia return will help them. For example, starting from Jordan Mickey, he, he can benefit a lot from 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 this uh, comeback. And for sure, 
time is their biggest friend. But but yeah, so far a lot of uh, disappointing things have happened, including this loss against Asvel Villarban, for example. Some 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 crazy results uh, so far, some unexpected losses, including that one in Kaunas, where they kind of had the, that game in the pocket already. So. Yeah, it's it's probably a tough time for for Virtus uh, fan base, but of course, uh, it also comes to some of their previous decisions. For example, when they signed Milos Teodosic and Marco Bellinelli, that was a big move uh, for them to win the Euro Cup at first to get to the Euro League, and also you know to improve their situation in in Italian Championship. And they won the Italian uh, League uh, two seasons ago. They won the Euro Cup. They achieved their goals. But now, since guys like Teodosic and Bellinelli were on the long-term contracts, now they are two of the three most uh, best-paid players in Virtus Bologna, and they're they're really old. You can see that they are dead. Uh, their legs are dead. In the best-case scenario, they are backups uh, on your team. But this is the price they have to pay right now, just just for that goal to make make it back to the Euro League. So yeah, we'll see how how this team will will look like uh, after after a couple of months when Sergio Scarola will have more time for uh, some adjustments. Yeah, and for my top disappointment of the season, I have another historical club. It's Real Madrid. Uh, a lot, and I think that a lot of goes on their sports director, uh, the man who who runs sports decisions, basketball decisions, Juan Carlos Sanchez, because the first bad move he made was uh, firing head coach Pablo Lasso. I mean, he I think that he was just doing a wonderful job in the club for eleven years, uh, and the problem was that the GM, the sports director, he never got along with Lasso. And there is a joke around Real Madrid organization that the GM was looking for a reason to, to fire Pablo Lasso for 11 years. The problem was that Pablo Lasso just kept winning. And he made this, you know, he forced that move because if you remember that story, the main uh, reason why they decided to part ways with Lasso was that he wasn't good, you know, from the medical perspective, uh, he had this. Uh, um, he had stroke, if I'm correct with the with the word. Uh, he had big heart issues, and they said that he he cannot return to the bench to coach the team. Although he came, the coach came with medical reports that said he was good to go. He was good to work again uh, after a couple of months since that uh, situation had occurred. You know, so they fired Pablo Lasso, they picked his assistant coach, Chus Mateo, they brought some players that Pablo Lasso wasn't a big fan of. Uh, and it seems like they, this team is not clicking, starting from the head coach and then going uh, to the roster. Watching Real Madrid, I just still don't understand what's their identity. Because, for example, with Luka Doncic, with Facundo Campazzo, with Sergio Yu at his prime, this is a this was offensive oriented team, one of the mm, teams to I mean it, it was one of the biggest pleasure to watch this uh, team play in the Euroleague. When Luka Doncic left, when Campazzo left, Pablo Lazo made a huge turnaround turnaround from the one of the best offensive teams, he made Real Madrid one of the best defensive teams and he achieved a lot through defense. Now watching Real Madrid play, I still don't get what this team is all about. I mean, they're Playing at home, uh, Virtus Bologna, we already discussed that this is a very inconvincing team so far. They are allowing them 95 points. They're playing Olympiacos, they're losing to Olympiacos, of course, very solid team. 
but they are allowing them to score 89 points and you're playing at home. I remember that with Pablo Lasso, I mean, maybe they were like once or, or twice it had happened that, you know, they couldn't do anything uh, defensively. Now we're just six games into the season and we had these two uh, bad looking losses defensive wise. So I think that Real Madrid has issues. They lost to Saragossa in the Spanish Championship. This was the team that was uh, windless in the beginning of the season. Um, they're losing to teams like Virtus Bologna, Olympiacos. Uh, they barely won against Panathinaikos, uh, uh, some some other clubs. They they got close to Barcelona just because some crazy ending of the game. But rather than that, other than that, it was a uh, easy win for Barca. So. I mean, I understand that they still need a, a lot of time, but I think that this is the organization. Just just like in the beginning of the podcast, I remembered about some teams overreacting. I think that Real Madrid might overreact. And there are already reports that Chus Mateo is on a hot seat and that Real Madrid is just exploring coaching market. That report in, in Spanish media was also confirmed by my sources. It's not clear yet if they will do a head coaching move, but there is a strong belief around the organization that they might change the head coach in some part of the season if the situation uh, won't uh, get better. Uh, so if that will be decision, that just will prove that decision to fire the head coach Pablo Lasso uh, was a big mistake. It kind of felt like a big mistake already because players were unhappy too. Some of them expressed their uh, disappointments on Twitter, for example, which is really rare on that level, uh, on, on talking about these uh, this type of players. So I don't know. For me, it feels like Real Madrid is just a team which, you know, the train is going off the track and at some point of, of the season, they're just going to crash. So maybe I'm dead wrong. Um, because it's maybe it's too early to, to make some observations like that. Yeah, um, Madrid was actually my second uh, choice uh, for disappointment. So, I mean, you kind of hit everything on the head, um, especially a team that has like a dominant front line like that. You know, when you have a Tabarra, you throw in Bibicelli, like these are really good guys in a five and a four position. And, you know, I think, um, you know, you add somebody like a Hazonia, somebody like a Musa, and you just you see the potential that this team should have. You know, they're scoring 79 points a year. And I think it's just consistency at the point guard position. Um, Sergio Lou right now is not in a good rhythm. Uh, he's shooting six, uh, 25% from twos, 21% from threes. You know, they're getting four points and three assists from him in 20 minutes. And I think they need a little bit more. You know, I know he's getting older. I know he's facing injuries, but they need more. Um, if not, maybe I think Sergio Rodriguez could get more minutes. You know, he's only playing 14 minutes a night. He's a guy who's good in the pick and roll. He can find passes. Okay, he doesn't bring that defensive uh, grunt and mentality of a Lou, but, you know, he's someone that can kind of give this uh, offense life. Like, they, they need somebody to kind of organize it, get it all going. Um, right now, they're just a group of individuals. And considering that you've had the same team for a long time, I know the coaches change, but you've had the same core guys. You know, Yavaselli was there. Um, Walter Tavares, Mr. Poirier, like these guys were there. Sergio uh, Lou was there. Um, Rodriguez is a new addition, but he he has that Real Madrid blood. He's been there, you know, he's for many years, even though he had left, went away, like he knows, you know, how to play with these guys. And it's just, you would have expected a better transition. Um, you know, even though you get rid of a coach, you know, when you keep a transition, the fact that you have not seen it, 
means it just shows you how valuable Paulo Lasso was and, and the job he did, you know, and I think you know, Real Madrid has been a disappointment. And until that point guard play picks up, um, I think firing a coach is probably like the next worst thing you can do just because now there's going to be even more instability. There's going to be no uh, consistency. Now you're going to have guys who already are trying to find an identity within offense, within himself, within the role of the team. I'll just go with my uh, for our selection uh, since we both uh, had Real Madrid. Uh, I will expand on with some other teams which also disappointed me, but there was some other thing which doesn't involve players or teams which kind of got me disappointment, disappointed. And uh, let's start that I was very harsh with... Uh, I was very harsh towards officiating in the Eurobasket during the Eurobasket uh, Eurobasket competition. So uh, I cannot ignore some crucial mistakes that so far happened in the Euroleague. Uh, and I think if you remember, especially in the last round, there was there were some uh, very questionable calls, starting from the game uh, between Olympiacos and Valencia. Uh, the last block, the last let's say LU block, uh, it was by Webb, if I'm right. Was was clean. Everything was okay. But I think when Costas Lucas was making that late uh, jumper, I think that Victor Claver just touched his uh, hand, and it was it was pretty obvious. And I, f I think that that was a big missed call because Olympiacos was down by by one. So Lucas is a really good uh, free throw shooter, although he missed two uh, surprisingly because he was like thirty of thirty one before that game. I think that he could win. Uh, he could have won that game for Olympiacos. You probably remember how Panathinaikos owner Dimitris Ganakopoulos was mad and he blashed, uh, blamed the Euroleague for the um, continuously uh, for the officials continuously doing a bad job, especially in, in Panathinaikos games. I don't fully agree with it, but I what uh, what I saw in the game against Partizan, I was also uh, not very pleased. I saw a lot of uh, uncalled travels in the end of the game by partisan uh, bigs. There was this big moment when Dwayne Bacon uh, tried to dunk the ball, I think that over Dante Exum, and there was no foul call, although it was pretty obvious contact uh, above the rim. And there were some more situations, which I think that, okay, let's start that. I think that Panathinaikos lost the game, not because of the officials. They lost the game before the main crucial mistakes had occurred. But it still had some impact. And it also goes to other rounds. Uh, I don't know if you remember well, there was this Asvel Valencia game uh, where Harper had this offensive foul when he kicked in the de defender's leg. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that the result was tie and Valencia was about to try to win the game. And somehow from the offensive possession, you ended up free getting throws. two free throws. I mean, okay, maybe it's not the problem of the officiating. I think that it was pretty okay call. In my eyes, he kicked uh, into the leg. Uh, but the, the problem is the ruling, um, the rule that allows to score for the defensive team. And the worst part was that before, uh, I think that there was a, a shot clock violation, although Nando De Colo, uh, just a possession before, he hit the rim with his shot. Of course, you needed the replay to... to Make sure if that if that ball hit hit the rim and refs did a, re a replay the 
sports part was that they took a bad angle and they gave the ball to Valencia, which was absolutely uh, ridiculous. Uh, there were some other situations, like Misic got fouled uh, when he was playing against Monaco and Euroleague uh, acknowledged the mistake they did in the end of the fourth quarter. It was one of the crucial plays. Uh, Real Madrid-Virtus game, they added one point to Madrid uh, by a mistake. Some other situations, for example, Jorgeris Partizan games, in my eyes, we discussed these plays a lot in the Lithuanian podcast. There were a lot of questionable calls uh, against Jorgeris. I mean, and this is, we're talking about six rounds. I think it's just too many situations where with questionable referee referees calls. I, I hate to talk about referees. Uh, usually I'm on that team which says that you lost the game before, even if we are talking about some crucial play, crucial uh, possession and, and, and some uncalled uh, situations. But since I've been very harsh about the Eurobasket officiates, uh, officials and since EuroLeague has their own referees because they're not allowed to officiate in the Eurobasket, I had to be, you know, fair for both sides and to say that hey, Euroleague refs can also step up uh, to match the Euroleague players uh, level on the court. Yeah, probably you don't didn't have that uh, yeah, point. You didn't have that pick on your selection, so you, you can continue uh, with, with the last one probably, right? Yes, the last Virtus one. Virtus Madrid and your last disappointment of this early of the season. The Harper, I think I what you said. I mean, those were some great points. I watched that game um, when Harper kicked um, the guy um, on a three-point shot, and I just feel like it should have been treated as an offensive foul, um, loss of possession, um, as well gets the ball out of bounds, and one point, whatever, on the clock. Like, treat it like a charge. Like, to get points yeah. off of this, it's cheap, and it just doesn't make sense because it's it's an offensive foul. He kicked it. The offensive player had the ball. You don't deserve free throws on this. So, like, you know, I seen that. I seen the Mises call that was missed. He came under the shooter, you know, landed on his foot. I mean, you you brought up a lot of good, interesting points. And for sure, so Lucas uh, shot clear foul. Clear, like he went up. You can see the hand. Anytime a player goes here and then shows the hand, it's usually a dead giveaway. But you can literally see the trajectory change. The Decolo shot, you could see the ball. Like, so when you're watching, if you see the ball hit the rim, it always changes its rotational path. And so just watch the ball. Once it changes spin, like, you know it hit the rim. Like, you've been playing basketball long enough or you've been refing games long enough. These, these are clear tells. So, I mean, you make some excellent points. And, um, you know, I, I have to agree with those. Um, my third choice, I wasn't thinking about the rest, but, I mean, I almost want to switch it now. But <laughs> <laughs> my third choice is it's not that a team is a, it's a disappointment, not because I expected much of them. It's just because it's always a team that overachieved. Always a team that everyone underestimates. I always underestimated them. When I seen the roster, when I seen everything, I'm like, oh, they're not going to be good. And then every year, somehow this coach has them in the playoffs, has them ready. So maybe I'm spoiled because Chikiri has spoiled me into thinking that he always is a magician. He's going to do something with with nothing or something with less. And not to say that Bayern Munich shouldn't be um, considered one of the top teams they're not rosterized but they always find a way to sneak through so for me i'm just surprised that they're one in five because they're a team that usually sneaks wins that plays high quality basketball and that finds a way i think and i think they'll still find a way they figured out the right to ship but i just i know the roster doesn't say they're supposed to be you know five and one or four and two whatever but you just it's one of those teams where they just find a way to win. Like I expected them more to be where Zagiris is, you know, at three and three or Asvel, like just finding a way to do that. And I just feel like a team 
that doesn't have um, immense talent, when you dig that hole, it's extremely difficult to get out. Even if you have, you know, a good system, good tactics, even if you have guys who, you know, who follow to what the coach's game plan is, like it's extremely difficult to change the energy around organization when you start off one and five and, you know, it could only get harder. So they're a surprise just because, not because I don't think they're good, but because that she carries teams always overachieve. And right now they're not. So that's what's surprising to me. Yeah, and they played four games, uh, home games uh, of five. Uh, they're one and four. Now they're one of uh, one and five. They started the season with five losses in a row, and of course, it's 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 kind of alarming. Alarming, yes, it's disappointing. But we can remember that they started the last season, the previous season, also zero and four. Of course, partly to Russian clubs' exclusion, they managed to make the playoffs. It really helped them, uh, you know, to shift to the top eight. But at least there is, you know, that sense that, okay, they're losing, but you can kind of trust the process because they proved uh, that they are reliable, that this is a project that needs a lot of time. They had some uh, crucial changes, I would say, of, of uh, for example, Cassius Winston playing a very important role. And I just hope that they kind of, uh, they will jump off from that game against FS. I think that it was, it was a great team win. Um, with a lot of great performances, starting from Cassius Winston, the way the yearly Gurukin, the way how he controls the game, uh, the potential he has in controlling the game, hitting some uh, important shots, how sharp he sees some situations, some some nice passes. I liked from what I saw. Uh, they could have been in a better situation if Nick Weiler Bob made both of these uh, free throws against Milan. It was a painful moment for the player, you know, when the team was down by like one point, they were like two or three seconds left. Nick Weiler-Bob had threw, uh, two free throw attempts and he missed, missed them both. Uh, I was just happy to see that uh, both the GM of Bayern and the sports director, they quickly approached the player after the tip, uh, after, after the final whistle, you know, to support the player, to kind of calm him down, to say, hey, these two free throws, won't you know determine your further career and just don't get into that hole uh, to feel to get affected uh, by these uh, two free throws. Although it's a really uh, big thing to handle for a professional, and if you're you know let's say more sensitive to those kind of uh, things, and you know we're talking about a player who is not known as a big time shooter, uh, very good defend defensive uh, player, he kind of managed to become a a point guard for Andrea Trinquieri team, but his shots, outside shot, was always a big question. So it's, it's great to see him making three-pointers by uh, 45%. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, Bayern Munich kind of puts these uh, expectations just because it's Andrea Trinquieri's team. They have nice roster. Wouldn't say that it's the most talented team, but they are just, they look, they look good as a team. Uh, and I believe, I fully believe again that they have this potential uh, to work it out throughout the season and to be in a playoff race, which is already, which would be already a huge achievement for this club. Because sometimes we we do this mistake. Uh, we have our own expectations, and we just think that it's now it's a must. Now they have to make the playoffs. Although when you look at the budgets, I mean they're in in a bottom uh, with some other teams. They're not on the top. Uh, they cannot compete uh, for the players like Fenerbahce, Monaco, some other big clubs now, Maccabi, for example. Uh, so in their money range, they're doing a great job. But we have these 
kind of uh, affected expectations. And sometimes we can we we have to see the old picture that the playoffs is a really big shot uh, for this team. So I also was kind of disappointed by the result, but since I kind of trust the process, I still give them uh, time. And I really believe that they will improve a lot. And this this win against FS will be the start of, of something better. Isaac Bonga, for example, uh, he played his second, uh, I would say first full game and when he was healthy, when he was in his rhythm, and you could see what kind of impact he makes on the court, offensively, defensively, how great he sees the court as a kind of point guard, point forward. Uh, I would say uh, Rubit is injured. Um, Otello Hunter is injured. Uh, other players will get into their rhythm. I, I like the potential of this team. I really think that they, they, they're going to improve. So that's why I don't have them in my uh, list of disappointments. Yeah, I think they're going to be good, and I think they're going to improve, and uh, I think they can write the ship because they've been playing good basketball, just a couple of tough losses, and I think they can um, be fine. You know, I think they're playing good basketball. I was just surprised that you know they lost a couple of games, tight ones, and you know usually they're a team that kind of figures it out, and you know usually gets a couple of surprising wins. And I think it's too early; they'll be okay. But you know, I just I, I think it's just because I think highly of Chukeri's coaching ability that. To see them one in five, it's just surprising, but not alarming. Yeah, I agree. And as you just mentioned, it's so early. It's so early to get disappointed. Uh, actually, for example, I have teams like FS Milan on my list. Uh, what makes me a little bit disappointing about Milan that even though they brought Kevin Pangos, uh, Brandon Davis, Billy Barron, uh, they still struggle offensively. They have just 15th best uh, offensive rating in the EuroLeague. If you remember the last year, they had some real uh, big, really big offensive issues. They were also 15th by the offensive rating in the league. In some games, they barely um, got more than 60 points, and including the playoff uh, series uh, against FS. So I just thought that with these signings, uh, they will get much better. Of course, a lot of... Um, I mean, Shaywan Shields got injured and it's it's a very big blow to the organization because we're talking about the top 10 player uh, in the whole uh, EuroLeague and he was the best uh, scorer on that uh, on that group. Unique player, uh, unique forward in the EuroLeague. Also, Nazmi Trulong uh, just came back after getting injury and we're talking about two uh, offensive threats that should improve uh, this organization. So I'm also kind of patient, although uh, their start, as I mentioned, is the worst uh, in, in Ettore Messina era. I've, I, be, I really believe that they will uh, get better. Talking about FS, for example, um, I'm not really surprised by their record because that's what we already witnessed in, in the two of the previous seasons. They also don't have Shane Larkin. They might miss him for the entire November. And, and, and it's tough. Some players might have some motivational uh, issues, which starts with not getting back in, into transition defense, uh, for example. What maybe disappoints me so far, maybe the way how they're trying to... Uh, find who would finish the game. For example, there is Vasilya Misic and, and Will Clyburn. Maybe maybe I just picked wrong games, but I didn't like what I saw in in the end of the game against Monaco and Fener. 
against Monaco, I didn't see Will Clyburn having ball enough. Although Vasily Mitic was hurt, he got injured in that play, which was uh, later acknowledged, uh, acknowledged uh, as, a, as a mistake by the referees. He still had the ball in the extra time. He still made all those shots, although Will Clyburn was having his night. And then the game against Fenerbahce, um, there were some other situations where I, I just wanted to see ball distribution differently when I saw uh, in the game against Fener. But these are things which uh, will be, let's say, cleared out during the season. They will get better from that. They will improve. And this picture might be misleading uh, so far, uh, so so early into the season. So uh, it was for me, it was really hard to find the third biggest disappointment. I even had the schedule. Uh, I even had the yearly schedule as one of the mo biggest disappointments. I hate to have so many games clashing each other, and you know it's good to have yearly TV subscription. It's, it's good that I have as some software to download games later. But but if I'm a fan, I, I could get really angry, uh, and I think that you know um, the way how Yearlig should. I mean, Yearlig should do something about it. I know it's not. It's hard to schedule games. Uh, for the entire Europe uh, to have at least two uh, full-time uh, full game experience per one night just and I know that a lot of uh, behind it is because we don't have Russian teams playing in this competition and if you remember usually Russian teams started their games early so that uh, you could easily watch some other games late in Spain or Italy or in Greece uh, for example now a lot of games are starting at the same time and it's really hard to watch uh, more than one game uh, per, per one uh, evening. I just think that it's, it's, it really hurts the organization uh, and we should follow Champions League, Football Champions League example, uh, where they have at least two full game experiences per night. One game starts at 8 o'clock, the other game starts at 10 o'clock by Lithuanian time. So. It should be the same uh, in the Euroleague as well because TV rights is the is the one who who, who makes the most money uh, for the competition and and Euroleague should 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 take care of it. And we had this joke in, in the in our office that it seems like that Jordi Bertomeo, the former CEO of the organization, just pooped in the middle of the room and left the organization with this schedule issue, you know, to handle for this uh, new administration. I really don't believe that it's so easy, you know, to ruin things. And, you know, it's it's not, uh, for sure, it's not easy to make the schedule, but you really should do something about it in the future if they want to be more profitable. Yeah, yeah, no, you make some good points. Um, I was hesitant to list FS just because Shane's out. Um, we know how important he is. We've seen them right the ship and they're back to back champion. Um, so you know, I was hesitant. And then with Babal getting hurt, you know, you know, the guard depth just wasn't there. And, you know, they had a couple of tough games. You know, the Valencia game could have went either way. Um Finner on the road, finish playing strong. That's tough when you're shorthanded. And so I, I kinda excused them, but you know, uh, you'd like to see, you know, someone outside of Clyburn and Mises step up. Um you know, especially in the absent of Larkin. And I think Babal was playing solid until the injury. Um, and then Milan, they were, it was a toss up between them and Byron. I was trying to decide who I wanted. Although um, Milan has a lot of new players, a lot of new changes. So it's tough, like, to, to have that chemistry built early. 
I think what's really hurting them is they have a great player who's just in a slump right now. I think um, Devin Hall really emerged last year. I mean, he was excellent. Um, and I think he's a, a, a great player, and I think he, he'll write the ship. But right now, I mean, he's playing 30 minutes a game. He's shooting 19% from twos, 11% from threes, and he's averaging – uh, a little over like three and a half points a game in 30 minutes. So this is a guy that you're, as a coach, you're normally expecting probably 11 to 13 points a game from. And that's a lot, you know, when you're talking about, you know, 10 less points per game from a guy who, you know, is more than capable. I and mean, that's kind of slowed him down some. I know um, Pengos was struggling with his three-point shot early. Um, seems to be, you know, finding the rhythm now. Just a lot of good players. And, you know, you expect that they would, you know, You'll be towards the top half of um, the year elite standings, and it's still early. There's plenty of time, but you know, with Shields injury um, and with Hall struggling, um, I could see them losing some more games. You know, until you know Hall gets out of his funk, or until Shields gets back, because you know, if you're struggling a little bit offensively and you lose your best player, um, it only gets worse from there. Yeah, and the worst problem is that it was announced that Shields is out for. Uh, from six to eight weeks, and then he will be reevaluated. And from what I hear, that he might be out for longer. And as Oof. I mentioned, and really, it really hurts the team. Not just, not just now, not just in presence, but also for the future. But because both shields will need time to readjust uh, to get back to the, his rhythm. The team once again will have to readjust uh, to a different role. So. It is going to be another tough season for Milan because it seems like they have this uh, curse of, of injuries uh, following them uh, each year. And the last advanced, stats I ha advanced stat I have for this pod is that 45% uh, of our listeners and viewers who watched our latest or bonus episode don't subscribe our channel. So it's a must to follow Basket News uh, YouTube channel uh, to press like below this uh, video just to help us uh, to grow. By the way, before the end, uh, I have a couple of NBA questions to Eric. Uh, we have many NBA fans in our uh, office and they really like Pelicans and your brother CJ playing for, for Pels. So just give us a picture of how CJ is, is, is feeling playing alongside with Zion Williamson. We have a lot of expectations for him, you know, to finally play, to finally avoid these injuries and finally contribute and make some, you know, mark in the NBA with Brandon Ingram, many other players. How do you like their chances in general uh, this season? I really like them. I think they're uh, a top four team in the West. Um, I think that's where they'll be positioned. Um, you're talking about someone who's basically unguardable with one person. Zion Williamson, he's big, he's strong. Um, he scores in the paint easily. I mean, we don't see anybody in the NBA scoring the paint like Zion Williamson outside of Giannis and Kupo. So, you know, he's that type of uh, dominant force when it comes to attacking the rim and finishing, you know, over bigger, um, taller defenders. Um, so when you add that to the mix, um, I think the most underrated player on that roster is Brandon Ingram. I think um, you know, he's one of the top players in the NBA. I think a lot of people don't realize it just because Jordan wasn't um, and they weren't making the playoffs. And now with my brother there, you know, people got a glimpse of how special he is. You know, at six ten, he can shoot the three. He's excellent in the mid range. Um, he can dribble. He can play pick and roll. Um, and he's also good at fouls in the tournament. And he's shown the 
a propensity to be able to play, make, and create out of the pick and roll and make passes. And all they were missing was a leader, you know, someone who's who's been there, who's done that, who's professional, who can take all these young men and, and these rookies and, and show them what it takes to get to the playoffs, you know, the type of consistency, the effort you need, how to be a pro, how to be a professional, how to take care of your body, how to do things like that. And my brother provides that. And then you add to the fact that, you know, he's a, a great lead guard, a guy who can who can score, who can rebound, who can um, penetrate the lane. He'll make the game easier for guys. And he provides that proper spacing because he's such a renowned shooter that when Zion or Brandon Ingram are in their isolation situations, they're going to need less help. So I wouldn't if they make it to the Western Conference Finals. They just need to stay healthy. And you're going to see this team continue to rise and grow because they enjoy playing with each other. They have excellent chemistry and roles are defined. So, you know, they have a big three. And my one of my favorite guys who I think doesn't get mentioned at all is a fellow Lithuanian, uh, Giannis Valanciunas. Um, this is a guy who gets 15 points, 11 rebounds, does the dirty work. He's strong. He's physical. He's an excellent screener. And I think he gets lost in the shuffle because everybody talks about CJ McCullough. Everybody talks about Brandon Egram. Everybody talks about Zion Williamson. Uh, but Jonas Valanciunas is a guy um, who's steady, who's consistent, and who's shown that he's adapted his game as well, being able to shoot the three-point shot, you know, extending his range. But uh, he's been excellent this season. Yeah, Valanciunas is our guy. I think that he's a perfect regular season um, player. We'll see how it goes uh, for him in the playoffs. But what do you think? Could they make the case for the title? You already mentioned about the West Conference Finals. Uh, do, you think, do you think they have what it takes to go uh, until the end or they should improve their team. For example, I was listening to Bill Simmons pod the other day and he mentioned that Nets are really dysfunctional and they might make some moves. And I remember that maybe it was him or somebody else uh, on that show. Uh, I think that it was a pod with Roger Bell. Somebody mentioned that maybe Pelicans could uh, go for a trade. Maybe they, they, they could go for uh, go after KD. What, what do you think about that? I think um, I think the Pelicans are one or two years away. I think maybe one year of making a playoff run, those guys getting that experience, Zion Williamson body adjusting you know, to the rigors of an 82-game season and then a playoff run. You got to remember, he hasn't played a full season yet. So this would be a great year for his body to start to adjust, you know, to see what it takes to see what his body can handle to get that confidence in it and for all those other guys to continue to develop. You got to remember uh, CJ, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson are all under contract until at least 2025. So you, know, you also have Herb Pope, who's one of the best defensive players there, and then you have this young core, you know, Trey Murphy, uh, Jose Alvarado. Like, So they have time. The thing is, KD's an excellent player. The reason I don't make this trade is because it mortgages your future. Yes, will you be able to win right now? Yes, but what, at what cost? You know, KD is what, 33, 34 years old? Um, and, and you would have to give up a young asset who you're going to have on contract um, for many years, who's already signed up, who you already know how they fit, what they do. Um, and you would have to give up some picks and everything. And right now, the Pelicans are in an excellent position. They have the Lakers pick for this season. Um, which potentially could be a lottery pick the way things are going. Um, and you know they have a, a core that loves playing together, that's shown um, their talent level and what they're capable of last season um, in the playoffs against the Suns. And now you add in uh, once-in-a-generational talent like Zion Williamson, like you have to see that through. So there's no way I would make that trade without seeing 
at least one season of Brandon Ingram, Zion Williams, and McCullough. And then from there, I think you'll have a full picture of what could possibly be. That's a good point, Eric. One of many good points you made in this pod. A pleasure to uh, hear you again. And uh, it, I think it was a... I mean, when you have a pod with somebody else, not in a group of at least three people, you think that it's going to be a quite short podcast. I, even before the pod, when I was inviting the other player, I told him that, okay, join us and we will try to make it out uh, in like 50 minutes, for example. I see that we spoke like for hour and a half uh, and I believe that still there's a lot of time left, you know, to discuss some other things, but let's, let's put these things for the future pods uh, that we will have. Thanks a lot for being here and thanks a lot for your interesting thoughts as always. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and I look forward to seeing you again. And just for the end, guys, uh, as I mentioned, don't forget to subscribe our channel. Don't forget to press like uh, uh, below this video uh, for the future pods. Uh, also, I invite you to join BN Plus community uh, to become our subscribers to make questions for the upcoming pods. Uh, Ritis and Augustus will be back on track here in Studio in Vilnius. We will have a special Q&A episode. So, uh, to ask these questions, you have to become our BN Plus members and then making the best question in the group, you can win the uh, basket news hoodie, sweater, and all the other good things we can actually, we have, we can, uh, we actually have on shop.basketnews.lt. To become BN Plus members, uh, join us on basketnews.com slash plus. That's all. A lot of things were said. Thanks all for watching and listening and see you soon, Eric.